This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you, your rights, and your questions about the law. I'm Greg Mayer, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we'll talk about property law, a subject that affects all of us here in Mississippi, whether we own the land, rent it, or simply walk across someone else's property. If you have a question about property law, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after the news. This is In Legal Terms on MPP Think Radio. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you, your rights, and your questions about the law. I'm Greg Mayer, filling in today for your regular host, Liz Gill. I'm joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're going to talk about property law, an area of law that affects all of us here in Mississippi. If you have a question about your rights or what the law is, call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Professor, this is a pretty big topic we have today this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Greg. It's one that I think people will be interested in. And in fact, we were actually doing a show a few weeks ago on game and fish law. And I think, you know, almost all the questions were really more about trespass and about property law. So we thought this would be a good topic to cover. Yeah, that's a good place for us to start this morning is what is trespassing? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, really the the right that we have when we own property. One of the rights, you know, from law school, you're, you're a lawyer and, and you probably remember law school like I do. We, we learned that property is a bundle of sticks, a bundle of rights. And one of those rights is the right to exclude other people uh, that we don't want on our property. And so in Mississippi, like in every state, there are trespass laws. Ours uh, is in the Mississippi Code uh, at uh, 97-17-97. And that defines trespassing in Mississippi as going into or upon or remaining in or upon buildings, premises, or lands of another after being forbidden to do so. And the way we can forbid people is either uh, orally or in writing. And to keep people off your property, you say you can forbid them either orally or in writing. Do you mean like you should put up a sign? That's right. And that really is why a lot of people say the best way to protect your rights 
uh, especially if you're in a remote area uh, where it's not so obvious that it, the property might be private property. You know, somebody may be hiking or, or hunting or, or, you know, just out in the woods thinking that these, you know, this could be public land, uh, is to post that land and put up a sign that says no trespassing, uh, mm-hmm. trespassers will be prosecuted. And as soon as you put that sign up, that will be a writing sufficient to let people know they're not supposed to be there. And, and to trespass, does that mean it's actually the person that trespasses or can maybe their pet or a tree or something else can cause a trespass? Well, you know, it's uh, that's a great question. And, you know, and I think, you know, we, we get a lot of questions about pets. Uh, and But typically we're thinking that the, the actual trespass is uh, when so- a person goes upon or remains in a building or premises on lands of another. Uh, and pets are property. And that, you know, that's a different kind of dispute in a way because, you know, if, if for example, uh, my kid's football ends up in our neighbor's yard, you know, that's technically, you know, maybe a, a nuisance to them, but, but you know, typically not uh, trespassing. And the one thing we need to think about, too, is, uh, you know, if the neighbor's uh, pet poops on my yard, you know, technically maybe I have some legal recourse, but uh, the law doesn't really mess with, with trivial matters like that. <laughs> and and let's say someone has trespassed on your property uh, despite your having a sign. What, what are some things that you can do to prevent that in the future? Well, I think one thing is if you know who the person is, you can actually um, warn them that next time you will have them prosecuted or you can bring civil action against them. Uh, and uh, every case of trespass does uh, allow the owner to receive some uh, civil uh, remuneration, some cash, you know, for the, the trespass. Sometimes it can be very, very minimal, and it's really not worth bringing that case. But I think it's just a matter of letting that person know, this is my property, you're not allowed here. And so, you know, once that person is on notice, uh, then they can actually be prosecuted uh, criminally as well as uh a civil suit brought against them. You're listening to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. We're talking about property law today. Any and all issues that affect property in Mississippi, whether you own it, you rent it, or you're walking across somebody else's land. If you have a question about what the, your rights or what the law is, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send us an email to Legal terms at mpbonline.org. Professor, at the, at the top, when we got into this topic, you mem- mentioned that a few weeks ago you had a, a topic on hunting and gaming, and one of the big questions that came up is hunting and fishing across someone else's property. What, what generally uh, are the rules when it comes to hunting and fishing on property that's not your own? Well, you're a trespasser unless you have permission. And, you know, so a lot of a lot of people who own uh, tracts of land out, you know, uh, where there's good hunting will actually uh, license that land, allow people to pay to be on that land and, and hunt on that land. And that's one way to deal with it. I think if you're not sure or if you see signs that say no trespassing, you should stay off of that property. It's, it's not yours. You shouldn't be hunting there. Uh, wild animals on public land uh, technically belong to all of us, really are regulated by the state, so they're hunting seasons and fishing seasons. But, you know, at some point, if you have a, a license, then you, you can go on public land to, to take those animals, uh, you know, in the appropriate time, in the appropriate season. But if you're on private land, your hunting license doesn't really help you there because you're still a trespasser. What if you're crossing land, but you don't know who owns it? 
Well, that's a, that's a great question, and that really is where we get into uh, you know if uh, you know if it's one thing for my house, I don't need to have a sign on my house that says no trespassing because that's obviously property that belongs to someone, uh, and you know and, and people who don't belong there shouldn't be there. But if you're out in the woods and you don't know and you're just hiking, uh, you know, uh, innocently, and the signs there are no signs posting that this is uh, private property, and you think you're just out in, in on public land you're technically uh, excluded from the trespass rules. So in order for someone to enforce their rights, uh, you have to either, again, orally or uh, in writing, warn them that they're not allowed there. Uh, And so that's why you'll hear people say what you really need to do then is post uh, signs on your property if you want to keep people off of it. Are there generally any exceptions to the trespass for, for for instance, government workers or anything like that, that people can come onto your property, even if you have a sign up that says no trespassing? Yes, there are. And, you know, most most property, uh, especially residential property, there are easements on that property. And, you know, for example, um, I want my uh, utility, uh, people who maintain my utility lines to be able to come on my property and fix a gas leak or, uh, you know, fix the water line or read the meter. And so those are those are certainly exceptions that if you look at your deed closely enough, you'll see that those exceptions are in the deed themselves. So, um, you know, those those are certainly exceptions. Other exceptions would be if somebody had to come on uh, of necessity, let's say in order to, to rescue someone, uh, you know, the ambulance had to go across your property to get there or the rescue workers or the first responders had to cross your property. Certainly in that emergency situation, uh, you know, they would not be considered trespassers in that case we've got a call from jerry in madison listeners if you have a call or a question about your rights involving property law give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four jerry from madison what's your question or comment uh yeah i had a question about fishing i do a lot of wade fishing in low water times on the rivers in mississippi and access through bridges and stuff and i'm just wondering what the legality that is of me walking up the riverbed fly fishing uh you know without getting up off of out of the riverbed so to speak and i'll hang up well yeah that's a great question Great question. Uh, you know, it, it really depends, again, on, uh, you know, some people, sometimes people own the land along the riverbed. Uh, so you don't want to be on somebody else's property to get to the riverbed. You don't want to cross somebody else's property because then technically you would be trespassing. But if it's public land, uh, you know, fish and wa- the waters belong to the state, those public waters. And, you know, again, subject to fishing license laws, you know, if, if, the, if it's legal to, uh, to catch certain fish, then uh, and you're on public land, then typically you can do that, um, you know, as long as you have the appropriate license. So the, the key with water is what did you have to cross to get there? Uh, you know, the water itself may be public, but you may have to cross private property to get there, and that would be the problem. And, and, and Professor, to follow up with Jerry's question, the water, if you're in a public waterway, how far up, does it go up to what, how, onto the bank? of that waterway, is that still public property? Or at what point is it, is it discernible that there is a, a private property? That's, it's a great question. And typically we, we think about it as, as, long as, the, as long as the land is covered by water, the water itself uh, would be uh, public. And then it, the, land, the land underneath is still technically private. So I could own 
uh, the land but not have uh, an exclusive right to the water. It's a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when it's that close to the water, you know, it's typically, again, if, you had to crawl, if you're on somebody's land to get there, you're, you're trespassing. But if you're on public, a public waterway, then it really is regulated by the state, and, and uh, no private person is going to own that. Our next caller is Richard from Hattiesburg. Has a question about property boundaries. Richard, what's your question or comment? Question is related to boundaries. Uh, a neighbor and I have a boundary between our property. Um, there was a fence there eons ago, probably 80, 90 years ago. And since then, I've had it surveyed, and the survey shows that the boundary is some 60 feet the other side of where the fence used to be. Um, now, we, 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 we get along well, so there's no animosity there, but we just want to get it straight as far as where the boundary actually lies. Well, that's... Well, that's good that you get along. That's a, it's, you know, that, that's the important part because you can work that out. The key, one thing to think about is depending on how big your property is and how, you know, how much actually square footage that's going to cover. Uh, well, we're know, looking at 160 acres. That's a lot, that's a lot, a lot of space. So somebody is paying taxes on that. And if, if you're not, if you're not the actual owner, but you're paying taxes on that land or you are the actual owner and the other person's paying taxes on that land, then that's something that you would certainly want to get straightened out. Um, you know, it should be easy enough to get somebody to come out and, and survey the land and make sure that you know where the actual property line is. And then uh, depending on how you want to do this, you could um, work it out with, um, uh, you know, if, let's say the person who's been paying taxes all the time is not the actual owner. Uh, you know, but to be fair, the, the other person says, hey, I want to make this right. So I'll just quick claim deed that property to you so that you know now it's yours so that's one way to do it i mean i think you can probably work this out pretty amicably one thing to think about we were going to talk about a little bit about adverse possession on this show and adverse possession really takes place in mississippi when somebody uh, is on the land of another under a claim of right uh, openly and notoriously uh, you know for 10 for 10 years so it's possible since it's been this way for a long time that the actual ownership has shifted under a concept called adverse possession. And we can go more into detail later, but that's just something I think you and your neighbor can, can work out. Uh, whenever people can work things out amicably, it's better than, than trying to use us. When we come back from break, we'll take Homer from Lyons call. We'll continue our discussion on property law. If you have a question about the laws concerning this area of law, Please call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Greg Mayer, filling in for your regular host, Liz Gill, today. And I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're talking about property law. Right before the break, we were talking about trespass and boundaries. And we got a call from Homer from Lyon, who has a question about fences. Homer, what's your question? Yeah, hey, how y'all doing? Good morning. Uh, Enjoying the show. uh, When I was taking business law at Northwest, uh, we discussed fences, and they said that if you if somebody left a fence on your property for ten years and it was not their property, you know how people's property lines meet, uh, and legally, does that still hold true that if that fence stays up there for ten years, you kind of discussed it, but I was holding on the phone, I couldn't hear what you said. Um, if that fence stays up there for ten years, does that person take possession of that property and one other thing i want to ask i have rental property uh if i actually go in and get a standardized lease agreement between a tenant who's going to rent or lease property for me and i put make up a clause in the contract or put a sheet in there where they got to go get it notarized and say 30 days from the time that you do not meet your obligation of paying rent, I can actually physically move your possessions out of this out of this property, it, and they get it notarized and signed and understand this before going into this property. Am I legal to do that? All right. Well, Homer, let me let me address your first question uh, first, which is about the fence. And that's a concept, again, we call it adverse possession. It seems almost like, wow, you know, somebody could uh, now take my property if they just, uh, if they uh, claimed it for 10 years, put, maybe put a fence on it, uh, pay taxes on it. Mississippi requires you to at least pay the taxes for two of those, those 10 years um, under a claim of right. Uh, and they do it openly and notoriously. Well, openly and notoriously, it would, a fence would be open and notorious. And the reason that, that we have adverse possession is, and, and that would, in fact, belong to that other person, is we want property to be used productively. And if someone is not uh, maintaining their property or not watching their property, someone else is for a long enough period of time. In a way, what happens is the original owner loses their right to enforce that ability ability to exclude somebody else. So, yeah, adverse possession is always one of those things that made me shake my head a little bit in, in, when I was in law school. But, I mean, the truth is, if you know, if you got property way out and you're not looking after it, and somebody else is using it productively, uh, eventually, at some point in every state, that property can become that other person's property. So, the key is to make sure you keep an eye on your property, make sure you know where your boundaries are, uh, enforce your rights, or you could uh, you could lose them. Now, as far as the the the, uh, the landlord tenant question you have, I mean, I part of part of what I have to say, and this is you know, kind of goes with the territory on the show, is that we can't really give specific legal advice about whether your your uh, terms are enforceable because I haven't read them, I haven't seen them, um, I don't know um, you know what local laws there might be for uh, the you know the the property in in your town because sometimes there are specific laws that apply 
uh, to rules there. But I will say this. Mississippi tends to, unlike many states, have you know, give a lot more favorable treatment to landlords uh, than to tenants. So it certainly could be enforceable, um, and, you know, it seems pretty clear. We usually treat uh, leases like contracts, uh, and so it could be an enforceable contract. I will say my daughter moved into an apartment complex here in Oxford uh, this year. Um, for the first time, she's in her own apartment with three other young women, and um, and her lease term said that they got to assign the rooms of the people in the apartment building, which I'd never heard of before, uh, because the, the girls had picked out their own rooms first, and then they found out no, they they had been assigned rooms by the by the apartment complex, which was surprising to me. And that they they said if you want to change that, you got to pay two hundred dollars, and apparently that is enforceable. So, you know, uh, I think as long as the parties understand and agree. The presumption is that, that uh, those uh, rules would be enforceable. Um, you know, a lot of states have given a lot more power to tenants and protections to tenants because uh, this is someone's home when they're leasing property. And, uh, and usually we try to uh, uh, protect people in those situations. But I do think it's, uh, there's a chance it could be enforceable. I just I, I don't have all the facts. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. We're about to take the call from John in Vicksburg. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. John from Vicksburg. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having my call. Uh, I've got a, two questions I'd like to ask, but I'm going to just give one across. I guess I got the property I have here, and my neighbor's um, raising this. Here about years before I, I, I bought the property with the house, I got about maybe twenty seven inches between his fence and my window to my my house. Is that possible with all this this land grabbing? Some do. Um, I'm trying to find out too with all the the bricks and the cars he got right alongside and next to my house. It's nothing but. Uh, areas for pests like, you know, the rats and snakes and stuff to be growing up. I can't walk with three miles of this fence without maybe shoulder to shoulder with the fence in the house. So what kind of, is that a problem to have someone or have him to maybe try to do something about cutting some of the limbs and trees or the trees off the house? Well, John? John, uh, I'll, I'll try the best I can to answer. Again, I haven't seen your property, and I don't know what, you know, I would have to, uh, you know, a lawyer would have to look at the property line to see whether the fence was encroaching on your property or was, in fact, uh, his property. Um, and, you know, the thing about boundary fences is a boundary fence, by definition, is one that is actually on, in essence, both people's property uh, that divides the, the property. So, I mean, you know, again, it could be that, that uh, everything he's doing with that fence is perfectly fine. But if he's on your property, you would want to get a survey. You would want to talk to, to a lawyer about uh, about that and make sure that you uh, do something before that, that 10-year period passes, certainly. Now, the, the, other, the other aspect that you asked about was um, really something that could be a nuisance. And, again, not seeing the property, not knowing what's on there, not knowing how he's using the property. Um, a nuisance is something that um, the, somebody is doing on their property, so they're not trespassing. But what they're doing on their property is causing problems on your property. And so, uh, you know, for example, if they're creating, uh, you know, a habitat for 
dangerous animals on their property and those things get across to your property, that certainly could uh, fall into the definition of nuisance. And when we think of nuisance, we really think of it as more of a, a, a tort um, uh, action. And, and really, the first thing you can do is ask them to, to move the bricks and, and you know, move the things that are creating the, the haven for rats. Um, but if that doesn't work, I, I, the other thing I would look at is local ordinances. And this is why it's really hard to give a specific answer to anybody because each, each uh, homeowners association, each uh, uh, you know, city, you know, county can have their own rules about what you can have on your property and what you know, might constitute uh, a nuisance. And, you know, for example, a homeowners association may say that you can't build a fence without getting approval. Uh, and so it just depends on, on your specific situation. But, but one thing you can look at is to see whether, in fact, uh, your, your neighbor has created a nuisance that you could uh, get some help with. And, and, Professor, I think one important point at the top, you, just because there's a fence there, do you agree that doesn't always mean that's where the boundary is? Exactly, Greg. I mean, that's – somebody could put it uh, – first of all, they, they could put a fence – uh, somewhere on, we have a fence on our yard. It's actually nowhere near our boundary. It's totally on our property, and that's certainly fine. But if the fence is on somebody else's boundary or somebody else's property, then they're, in essence, that, that fence is encroaching on their property. And the homeowner or the landowner needs to take steps to remove that fence or have the other person buy the, the property from them, that encroach part of the property from them. Let's go to our next caller who's been patiently waiting. It's Gary from New Albany. Gary, what's your question? Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Good morning. Uh, I uh, have a question about, actually two questions. Uh, we live close to a subsidized apartment complex, and every once in a while we will get children over there uh, playing behind our, our lot where there is a road for which we have given an easement or, or an easement was given uh, for a local graveyard. And uh, <clears throat> it covers about half the road. And on the other side of the road, our, our side closest to us is a uh, drainage ditch. It's a fairly big one. There, there are probably places on it where it's a good five feet deep, and I would say eight to ten feet wide sometimes, and fairly steep size. And uh, I, I've never been one on posting things. I thought it was fairly obvious it was probably our yard, but somebody told me the other day that I might want to look into. I might want to go ahead and post it because if somebody was to get injured down there and and and, and be I know what you would call it. Uh, they, they could sue us. And uh, my second question is, I'm an amateur radio operator, and I was wanting to put some antennas up on my property. And uh, and obviously, in, in some people's mind, that not, might not be aesthetically pleasing. We have, we do have property codes, you know. Uh, I'm just wondering if, if I have a, a right to do that. Well, both great questions. Let me answer the second one first, if that's okay, because that really, you know, it depends It depends on your local code, I think is probably the best way to put it. And, again, whether you're in a homeowners association, whether you, you have restrictions. I mean, you know, the starting point is we can do typically 
things on our property that do not cause actual harm to other other landowners around us and was you know subject to zoning laws subject to uh, local ordinances that that's pretty true now the fact that you put something up that's not as aesthetically pleasing may not be a problem you know because that's that's uh yeah, I'm sure that, you know, somebody may think the color of my house is not really aesthetically pleasing. That's really not up to them. So as long as as long as you're not violating any kind of uh, local code, uh, homeowner association, you, you're probably OK there. I would talk to my neighbors, though, just to let them know you're doing it. But, um, you know, and I have no idea how big, uh, so, you know, that kind of antenna would be. But, you know, I mean, people have satellite dishes on their houses, things like that. They're not particularly aesthetically pleasing either. Um but on the, the other question, I think is probably the more serious issue to, to think about, and that is um, we have this concept in the law uh, that Greg and I both both remember very much from law school, kind of, uh, you know, as one of the first things that we talked about was premises liability, which is the, the extent to which you're responsible for people who are injured on your property. And, uh, you know, there are most states now, most states have said as long as you, as long as somebody's on your property, you have to use reasonable care to try to make sure they're not injured on your property. So if you know there's a dangerous thing on your property, you have to take reasonable care to try to uh, to, to protect them from that. You can't be negligent in allowing them to be injured. And that doesn't matter who they are. Mississippi has still held uh, some distinctions, some old old-time distinctions that say, we have a higher duty to people who are invitees, who are business guests. So if, if I run a hotel and somebody is a guest at the hotel, they're an invitee. Or if I go to a hardware store uh, as a customer, I'm an invitee. There's a higher standard of, of care for me uh, or uh, someone who is a, a licensee, um, uh, who uh, is uh, someone who is on my property uh, at my invitation for typically for um, amusement purposes. So if I invite somebody to come to my swimming pool, for example, I have a higher duty of care to them than I do to a trespasser. In Mississippi, if somebody's a trespasser, we really only owe them a, a duty that we should not do anything to to harm them, uh, you know, purposely harm them uh, or to cause their harm. So uh, a lower standard um, than, you know, typical. But that being said, where children are involved, there are actually some exceptions. And because children really don't understand the laws of trespass, it could be that if you have something on your property that attracts a child to be injured on your property, that might be something called an attractive nuisance. And you, a lot of times we think about swimming pools, people who have swimming pools on their property and a kid, neighborhood kid says, well, you know, that looks like fun. I'm going to go swim on there in there. And the, the child is injured. The landowner can be held liable for that. So if you've got a ditch or something like that and you know kids are coming across, the best advice, again, not having seen the property, not being able to give any specifics might be to put up a fence and to go ahead and post that as as uh, no trespassing so that there's no question that you're demarking that they're not they're not invited on your property. When we come back from break, uh, Wade from Biloxi will get your call and Greg from Greenwood, you'll be next. And we'll continue our discussion of property law. If you have a question about property law, please give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpponline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Greg Mayer filling in for your regular host, Liz Gill, and I'm joined today by Professor Richard Gershon, and we're having a great discussion on different areas of property law. If you'd like to join in on our conversation, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline. Now let's get to our next caller who's been patiently waiting. Wade from Biloxi, what's your question? Yes, uh, how you doing? Um, kind of taking a, a, a reverse on this, um, and the question is, is this kind of, uh, am I giving up my property uh, in case I want to sell it? And this is that I, I have a, a fence, but it's within my, and not on the boundary line. Am I giving away that property for future use? I'm not all I'm paying for this fence. Am I basically for not putting it exactly on the property line, but inward? Am I giving away that property to my neighbor? Wade, that's a great question, and the answer is no. I mean, the only way that that would happen is if the neighbor then started to uh, actually maybe grow trees on your side of the property, you know, you know, even though your fence is squarely in your property, decided that they could use whatever land was right up against that fence, and they started to uh, grow trees. They'd also have to pay the taxes on that property, and typically when that happens, it's because there's a mistake uh, in the in the property description. Um, you know, at, at a certain point, uh, if they uh, use the the property openly and notoriously, even uh, under common law principles, not statutory, but common law principles, you could give up your rights. But it doesn't sound like that's the case here. As, you know, as long as you let your property, your your uh, uh, as long as you're paying the taxes on, as long as you are letting the uh, the owner on the other side know that that you know that that's not their property. And you're clear about that. You shouldn't have any problem at all. As I said, we have a fence. I kind of moved it in, kind of not, not very much. You know, may you know just to make sure that I I didn't encroach. I was doing that to be, and not have to pay a surveyor because I was extending it. Okay, so I'm just more maybe if I want to sell the property, that I might cause more of a problem than I realize. You know. Okay, well, thank you for your answer. Right, it's a good it's a good thought, and actually, you know, I think the main thing is on the if, if the uh, the sale of the property, you'd have a survey, and you would have you know the 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 deed description of the property should should also give you an idea of where the land actually went. Like I said, we have a we have a fence around our backyard, but we have we have space, plenty of space between our backyard and our neighbor's house. You know, we're not we're definitely not giving up that that land in any way, shape, or form. It's just we decided the fence would work better. Uh, around uh, a part of our backyard, so yeah, that yeah, I don't want people to worry that if you have a fence that's not exactly on the boundary that you're giving up anything. Just make sure it's like everything else. We need to enforce our rights. We need to make sure that we uh, protect our property and, and take steps to uh, let people know that this is in fact ours. And that's how you know that's how we uh, determine what property is anyway. You know, we have to we have to um, take some responsibility over it. It's, it's, it's much easier some ways with real property, land, and buildings than it is with personal property, which is why, you know, it's important, you know, television, the television is not as unique as a piece of land. 
And so when we think about personal property, we want to make sure that we have marked that property in some way. Police often tell you to put some kind of identifying mark on, on it so that if they, if it's stolen, they can recover it and get it back to you. You know, cars have unique VIN numbers because they're mobile. So, I mean, in some ways, land is much easier to protect than our personal property. It's a great question, Wade. Let's go to our next caller. It's Greg in Greenwood. Greg, good morning. Uh, I have some uh, property interest in entirely, or whatever that word is. Uh, I own one-third. My sister owns one-third. My brother owns one-third. We, we have a second cousin next door. Uh, this lands out in the country. He owns about, uh, we own about 18 acres. He owns about 20, 25 acres. He has a house out there. So he comes up to me and, uh, you know, he says, uh, I want want to buy your one-third, and if you don't sell to me, I'm going to buy your sister's or your brother's one-third, and and, uh, I'm going to have, you know, uh, if you don't sell, I'm going to have the land divided. Uh, Of course, he wants to put a a house next to the road by the pond on the good pasture side and stick me way back in the back. Uh, First question is, how hard is it? For him, is it going to be for him if if he acquired uh, my sister or my brother's one third? How hard is it going to be for him to divide that land? And if he won in court, uh, how would the land be divided? Great questions. And uh, unfortunately, the way it works is if someone buys what you have is something called a tenancy in common. Yeah. Um, and so, and that means that you each own essentially own a third of the land, but you you can use the three of you. I assume can use any part of That's that right. land together. That's right. So, so uh, you know, if uh, the way it works is if someone buys a part of a tenancy in common, they can go to the court and have it have the property partitioned so that they get an actual third of the property outright themselves. So he could be able to do that. Uh, one thing that, you know, you're, you're, the three of you are in a good negotiating position. He clearly wants this property. And so the, the strength is in your numbers and to say, hey, we, you know, none of us are selling uh, unless you buy either the whole thing or, um, you know, you give, uh, you, you give us the price that we want. Because the fear is that he, he will find one of you that really doesn't care about having the land that much and just wants the money and be able to then partition the property. Um, it's not an uncommon problem. And so, you know, I think it's something that you and your siblings should, should talk through and try to figure out what your best strategy is. So we'd have to fight it out in court. Now, if he won, how would the court divide the land? Well, that's, that's really a, a great question because the thing about land, and again, it's not, like, uh, it's not like dividing jelly beans, which are pretty much the same. You know, there could be part of the land that, that you want to keep uh, that uh, you don't want him to have. And so... That's where um, the, the fight is going to take place, is what, what two-thirds would you keep with your the sibling who didn't sell, and what third would he get? The court's going to have to make that determination of what's the fair way to divide the property, and you're probably both going to have to bring in experts to try to argue about uh, which, which, you know, what's the fair way to, to divide this up. Again, probably the, the cleanest way is either he buys the whole thing from you, uh, from the three of you, at a, at a, at a fair price determined by you all, or uh, you figure out a way to hold out and uh, and and not sell separately. Yeah, that's another way to do it. But once he buys that property, then he would be able to go to court to partition, and that process itself is not really that that difficult. Okay, I was thinking like uh, you know if he wanted to keep be be friendly with me, uh, I would keep my one third. He'd be friendly with me. Then when I I'm not going to be here forever, 
And but if he wasn't friendly, I'd make it uh, hard for him to get my one third. He would probably want my one third. I would make it hard for him to get my one third, even when I'm not here anymore, just to uh, get back at him. You know. Well, that, I mean, I think that's something you could talk to him about. It certainly. The other thing is, if you know, if you if he does buy one of the the, the thirds, I mean, the the you know the 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 two remaining owners plus him could go into court already having a plan of what property. How the how the property would be divided, you know, what third he would get, and what the other two thirds would look like, and that would actually save a lot of trouble if y'all could work that out. It's always a lot easier to work things outside of the courtroom, isn't it, Professor? Absolutely. You know, it's really, uh, you know, if if, if it, I always say, you know, think about, you know, we, we litigating is is really kind of a a winner take all kind of thing, but most most good outcomes come from. Uh, something that is beneficial to everyone uh, involved. And, and that usually is something you can get to, and especially in something like this where property is involved, not so much necessarily in a divorce situation, but certainly uh, in, a, in a case like property. Thank you, Greg, for that question. Let's go to Tim, who's been waiting on the line. Tim, good morning. Good morning. I, uh, my neighbor is a good man. He, about 20 years ago, had his property surveyed. He lives on the south of me. And uh, our east and west lines are, are parallel with one another. Uh, when he had his land surveyed, he found out that his north end was 50 feet onto my property. So when we had it, we went ahead and had the north end of mine surveyed and found that my whole piece of property was too far to the north. So everything was changed. And uh, two years ago, my neighbor bought some adjoining land, had it resurveyed, and found out that. His property was supposed to be back 50 feet north. Back, so we're moving my property back to the north again. Uh, he was a good man. He went ahead and, and signed a quick claim because he already had his fence put up. I had a, a mobile home put on part of that 50 feet. My question is, who's responsible for, for the wrong survey and what can be done? Well, that's a that's a great question. I mean, and it does happen. You know, we we uh, you know, if you're like me, I I wouldn't know how to survey property, and we hope that when we hire somebody that they they do. Uh, you know, I, one thing that can happen is if the survey company made a mistake and they were negligent, and there's their cost involved, that you could uh, seek um, some type of reimbursement from the survey company. Uh, to you know, to to rectify the problem because there have been some costs, even even in in having a a, a, a deed, you know, a quick claim deed, which is not that ex, not a real expensive process. So, you know, I, I would uh, actually talk to the survey company and just see if they maybe they will work with you to uh, to give a reimbursement because you know they're they're professionals and if they make a mistake, just like if I'm a lawyer and I make a mistake, then you know I should make it right. And, and not all survey companies always agree, do they, Professor? <laughs> no, they don't. You know, it's interesting because we, I, you know, I always assume that my deed is right, and I'm sure that the caller did as well, and uh, and that's not always the case. Now, it's great. The, the best part about this story is he and his neighbor are working it out amicably. It's going to cost them less in the long run, and that's really the right way to do it because, you know, really it's obviously not anybody, any neighbor's fault that this has happened. But I do think I think it's be worth talking to the survey company as a start uh, because they clearly have caused some inconvenience. 
When we come back from break, James will get your call from Jackson and we'll get Teresa and Tim. If you'd like to join in on our discussion on property law or if you have a question, give us a call. 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as are all of our local shows. I'm Greg Mayer, filling in for your regular host, Liz Gill, today, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon, the University of Mississippi School of Law, and we're talking property law. Next up is James from Jackson. James, good morning. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Are there any new laws on eminent domains, or is everything still the same, or can you kind of give a brief overview on the uh, eminent domain on uh, property inside of Jackson? Okay, well, that's that's a great question. I mean, eminent domain is something that really there are lawyers who specialize in those kind of issues because, um, you know, to, to just put it in lay terms, eminent domain is when the uh, government, takes property from a private person uh, and has to give them compensation for it, and they exercise eminent domain, uh, for example, when they want to build an airport or they want to build a road, uh, and so they have to compensate the um, the person whose property it is. Uh, there are some interesting cases that allow private businesses to exercise through the government eminent domain, too. For example, for a, 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 a stadium that is being built by a private entity, uh, but the city believes that it's going to be beneficial. But as far as I know, there are no new laws. I mean, the the key is it's there's, there are constitutional provisions that say the government can't take our property uh, without compensation, without fair compensation, just compensation. Uh, I think what makes eminent domain so tricky is what does that exactly mean, uh, that compensation? And that's where a lot of the litigation really is, is over the value of the property taken. But um, interesting area of the law, and uh, and certainly you know one that re- require an expert attorney to to deal with. Even got their own eminent domain courts in Mississippi, don't we, Professor? Absolutely. I mean, it is it's a it's a big deal, and it really is a complicated deal. And to try to give a an answer about eminent domain on on this program in an hour would be a big mistake. Thank you, James. Let's go to Willis and Kosciuszko. Good morning, Willis. Hello. How you doing? Good. What's your question this morning? Uh, yes, I'm living on some property here that used to be belonged to my parents, and they died back in '07. And uh, I was wondering how can I take possession of that property? I was living with them when they died, and they didn't have no will or nothing. All right. Well, that's a that's a great question. That's really and if they didn't have a will, they're they're called intestate. They died without a will. And so the property will pass to their heirs. Now, I am. Are you the only? Are you the only, their only child? Uh, no, I had two. Uh, a brother and a sister live in Michigan. And I, 
Well, you know, technically then the brother and sister also own a portion of that property, but just based on the way intestacy works. So I, you know, I would, to take possession, first of all, you would, you would want to make sure the estate has gone through some probate process, assuming that your name was not on the deed, uh, that you got it at their death. But, um, and so you would want to make sure then you have title, uh, changed to the appropriate owners right now that's you and your siblings the best i can tell from from the facts so i would uh, i would talk to your siblings and maybe they'd be willing to allow you to uh you because know, I, I imagine there was probably other property you would allow them to take the other property in exchange for getting their share of the home or maybe they'd let you still live there even if if uh, they are part owners i think that's just something you have to work out with them but the way it sounds right now is the three of you are in fact owners because you're all um, equal relation uh, to your deceased parents. And Professor, one question that I've, I've seen come up several times is if a, a family, uh, the parents die intestate, it means they died without a will, and they have uh, a lot of debt. How does that work under Mississippi law for a home uh, if uh, if they died without a will and they have more debt than, than, than they uh, could pay off? Great question, Greg. It depends on the debt, really. You know, if if the debt is on the home, and they can't pay off the home, then you know that's that mortgage is a secured mortgage, and uh, and the bank can repossess the home. Typically, though, if it's credit card debt or things like that, the home has some protection. The homestead has some some protection, um, and you know you just need to uh, to I would I would in this case really absolutely talk to an attorney at, uh, to help them probate the estate and also figure out how you know how they make sure those debts are paid. Creditors have a certain limited amount of time that they can file a claim against the estate, but if nobody's ever uh, tried to probate the estate, then you know that that time frame really probably hadn't started yet. So it sounds like this has been kind of just uh, dealt with informally since two thousand and seven at the death of his parents. I mean that you know I, I would talk to a lawyer fairly soon. Let's in the short time we have left. Let's get to Teresa and Brandon. Teresa, good morning. We have just about a minute. Okay, uh, my neighbor across the street, that was a drainage dish that used to dry up in the summer. So they dug it out and made it into a pond, and now the water comes over to my property the, every time it rains, and it's just really just wreaking havoc on my property. Is there anything I can do? Well, I, I think what you can do is first talk to the neighbor and see if they would do something to fix it. That would be the first step is to see if, you know, you can do this amicably and maybe they can put up some, uh, you know, redig the, the ditch or something to make sure it doesn't overflow like that. Uh, the other thing is to check with the city to see if there are ordinances about that because that could be a nuisance. Uh, or if you're not in a city, to check with the county. Um, and, uh, and maybe they could help you with that. Um, but, you know, that, the first thing I would do is talk to the neighbor, and the second thing I would do is check with my local uh, municipality. Thank you, Teresa. And that'll wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. To hear today's show or a previous show, visit mpbonline.org slash terms, or you can download the MPB Media app and listen on your smart device or demand, on demand. Our board engineer was Jay White, and our producer today was Michelle McAdoo. For Professor Richard Gershon, I'm Greg Mayer. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.